just when you thought it was safe to listen to podcasts, it returned. It's Shocktoberfest 2. Coming to Sharktoberfest 2! That's right, we're back at it again. It's another month of shark movies paired with Oktoberfest beers and talking about everything fish and festive. That's what we're going to be doing here. That was pretty good, right? That was real good. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Logan Nielsen, and joining me, as always, in this inaugural Sharktoberfest episode, I love when we go back to the flagship, is... My co-host and resident brewmeister, Dustin Pixley. Hi, Dustin! Hi, Logan! How are you? I'm better now. I'm excited. We're back. We're so back. This is like I've loved everything we've done this year, but it has just been leading back up to Sharktoberfest. And I I'm very excited. I'm very excited. We watched a good movie again. We did. We, oh, it felt we good. started strong again. It felt good to watch a good movie again. I'm really excited about the beer. Because yes. we've had this one before. A lot of good this, things yeah. to start off. Yeah. Uh, Until we go downhill again. It, it, like most Shark Tower fest. Oh, it's going to be a, a, a steep cliff that we will be going off of uh, right after this. But uh, very excited to be to be back on the flagship. You know what I mean? Well, we've been teasing it and talking about it. Yeah. A lot. I don't, yeah. I don't even know if we've been like teasing it. For, we've been teasing ourselves. It's just like after everything <laughs> we do, it's just like, man, though, Shark Tower fest is going to be great. <laughs> But yeah, uh, in case this is your your first Sharktoberfest, maybe you're just listening now because they're coming out right now. Um, what we do in October, it's it's a pretty intense month because we release episodes Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Every Monday, yes. Wednesday, Friday. Holy of the month. shit! Three episodes a week. Yeah, so we're gonna do twelve episodes, um, and it is us. Uh, we we pick an Oktoberfest beer to sample. We pick a shark movie to watch. We research some stuff about both about uh, Oktoberfest and about sharks and about the filmmaking process. It's a it's a big old mishmash of stuff, was, but it's it's a you, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was gonna go mishmash. You're gonna go mishmash. It's, it's yes. a fun gumbo, a fumbo. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real fumbo. It's a real fumbo. <laughs> oh, that's getting added to the Sharktoberfest lexicon. Um, I'm excited. This month is is definitely a fumbo, and <laughs> it's fun to say too. It is it's really fun to say. Um, but yeah, so uh, that's kind of the deal. This year, uh, since it's our second Sharktoberfest, uh, we will be doing a whole new crop of movies and a whole new crop of beers. Except for this first episode, we are revisiting. Um, I mean, it felt weird to do another Sharktoberfest without doing Jaws again. You know what I mean? It wouldn't quite work. It wouldn't quite work. Like it, it's 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 the one. It's the one really good shark movie. It's not only is it a great shark movie, it's just a great great film. Well, and like, we don't want to break our spirits too early, so we got to start yes. strong. Yes. And then we decided since we're repeating that movie, uh, we also thought we'd go with one of our favorite. This was our top Sharktober or Sharktoberfest beer. Our top Oktoberfest beer uh, from last year. Um, do we want to just dive into that? Is that a, probably enough intro? Yes. Let's, let's just let's let's dig it. into it. I'm so excited to drink this again. Uh, Dustin, what do we have for our first episode so here? So we chose for our favorite beer of last year was Shell's Oktoberfest. Yes. Out of uh, New Ulm, Minnesota. So mm-hmm. a, a local one for us. Yeah. This one, I think it 
we had it pretty early on, I think, in the month last I think year. It was the first week. I think it was in the first week. Um, but and it it just planted its flag as like I think it was during the Meg. You might be right. Because then we also discovered our pump up theme song for us <laughs> to give you a little inside juice. Inside juice. Yeah, uh, yeah. We listened to because that episode we talked about the the <laughs> the music video that has a greased up Jason Statham in a uh, leopard print uh, bikini bottom uh, dancing to it's a song called "Coming On" by the Shaman and Gang. For the last year, we literally we just watched it. We watched it before every single episode of the show. It is our pump up video slash theme song. Um, Ideally, if we could, if we could afford it, if it would, you know, if there weren't rights issues, it would be the opening theme of the show, which is a very would be a very weird opening theme. But it'd a, be it'd be special to us. It'd be special to us. Uh, but so yeah, that's true. That yeah, we're gonna try though to not uh, be too stuck in the past. We wanna make this a new fresh we gotta, month. We gotta move forward. Yeah. Um, there may be some things we cover again, just for I don't know for clarity. I guess if, if there's any new listeners. Um, but don't be afraid to go back to last year. There's a bunch of bunch of fun shark facts back there. A bunch of fun fesh, uh, fest facts last year. Oktoberfest facts. We got some hashtag fresh fest facts this year. Yes. Um, and some other things like that. But and um, you get to listen to two bright-eyed, bushy-tailed boys. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can hear the decline over <laughs> the terrible animal movies we've had to watch. Well, it, we both re-listened to the first episode of Sharktoberfest last year just to be like, what did we cover in Jaws? What did we talk about? And oh, what an adorable little episode that was, huh? It was those two guys being like, I don't know. I guess Jaws is good. Oh yeah. Anyway, we weren't. We didn't lose our minds yet. It's a, it would be, a, and I think you'll hear you'll hear the show truly develop over that first month of Sharktoberfest because it was a fucking slog at a point. Yes, we had fun the whole time, it was but super it got, fun. But the movies really uh, took a they took a toll. Yeah, the the movies take a toll, and I'm not looking forward to this because I know it'll happen again. When you drink a lot of Oktoberfest beers in a row, you just, you feel you feel tired, you feel bloated, you get puffy. <laughs> so so October is a is a so it's a marathon for us, you know what I mean? Absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a boozy, five k, boozy wet five k. <laughs> yeah. um, let's let's open these uh, these shells. Oktoberfests here. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. Yes. Oh, shells. Oktoberfest. Marzen style fest beer. Um, maybe we'll get into that again after we we sample these. We'll kind of do a quick recap of of what makes Oktoberfest Oktoberfest. Um, since 1860, damn, I didn't realize. I mean, I know we covered it last year, but I forgot. Um, August Shell Brewing Co., New Ulm, Minnesota. A Marzen that is true to German tradition. It is only brewed once a year to celebrate the fall harvest. The perfect balance of pale Munich and Vienna malts create its toasty backbone. Prost. Uh, 5.8% alcohol per volume. Uh, 20 IBU and 12 fluid ounces. All right. I'm very excited. Shall we? Yes, sir. Do the honors. Crack the, the... You are the brewmeister, so you get to crack... Oh, the first beer of Sharktoberfest. Oh, very come nice. on. God, that cracks nice, too. It did last year, too. I remember about that. You've got some foam, too. This oh, beer wants to get in our mouth. Yes. Yes, it does. It, uh, it dances on the teeth, that's for sure. Absolutely. It's crunchy. That is a good... Oktoberfest beer. I like that it's one. Gonna be, it's going to be a tough climb for the it's, new ones to it's beat It's going to be a tough one. We're going to try our best, you know, because we're not going to judge all the movies to Jaws, because Jaws wins every year. Yeah, it's the I one... think we did exclude that one, because it just wasn't really fair. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, we said it was the best movie, but we had to kind of, you know, not count it. But um, we may have to do that with Shells, too. Shells may, unless something really tops it this year. Yeah, very Shells, possible, but Shells, we may have to put it in its little side category yeah. as, like, last year's winner. Yeah, this may just get added to, like, the Hall of Fame, but because uh, Jaws will probably never get dethroned. It, <laughs> it'd be pretty it, amazing if it did. It would have to be a new movie we've never heard of. Right. You know what I mean? Like, all the main shark movies people know about came out, and everyone was just like, man, they sure are ripping off Jaws a lot, <laughs> huh? <laughs> it's so crisp and clean. It's so crisp and clean. Absolutely. It's got so much flavor throughout. You know what I mean? Yes. It's just... It's not one of those that falls flat in any region. No. It starts great up front. It's nice and smooth in the middle, and mm-hmm. then it finishes super clean mm-hmm. and delicious. Yeah, and it is. It's, cri- it's crisp. Crisp is a great word for it. Not only is it crunchy, and it dances on the tongue and the teeth, uh, but it's, yeah, it just it tastes... It tastes uh, uh, it's fresh. Even though it's an Oktoberfest beer, it, it almost was like a good like outside warm weather beer, so which that, is weird to say. That drink just made me feel kind of warm and gave me a little bit of chills. Yeah. Like, it's just so good. Oh, we gotta, Dustin, we got we to gotta have some of these and just watch the leaves change. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. We got to just go sit outside... Wear some some tasteful sweaters. We gotta drive up to the Mississippi. You'd look good in a and drink. Neck. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch the leaves change. Drink and drive. We gotta drink and drive. We, got, we need to drink and drive. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. This is this is I've been excited to just have this again. I've been oh, excited to the, drink Oktoberfest, but I've been excited for this one specifically. The amount of restraint I had to have to not go buy this right away when I saw it. This has been in my fridge for a week. See, that's even tougher cuz mine's been at the store waiting mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. Yeah, Ooh. I I specifically cuz I went and bought us something that we did last month and I'm like, "Well, I'm just going to get one here because I didn't want to be in a situation where they didn't have it." We would have been fucked. Because we've been talking about some of the other ones we want to try. Suddenly, like, we're seeing them. They're pretty scarce already. And it's, you know, they just came out. They just released all the Oktoberfest beers. It's nice to see everyone's as excited as we are. That's the That was the one thing I took away. I'm like, oh, good. Other people are jazzed about Oktoberfest. That's fun, you know. But it's like, I get worried that I'm just like, are we going to have to? Are we going to have to just drink the four episodes worth of Oktoberfest? Are we going to? Oh, <laughs> We would probably yeah. quit. First one. First Hoctoberfest Sl- burn. If you want to know what that's all about, go. But what episode did we talk about Hoctoberfest in? That's a great question. I don't mm. remember. Well, just better listen to them all then just to make sure. Uh, but I can't remember which one. But that's a beer we've we've subtly bashed <laughs> for the past year there. in Iowa even, Brewery, I feel bad. But uh, even not during Hoctoberfest. No, absolutely not. Absolutely. So that left a mark. It's become kind of our metric for, for uh, 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 missing the mark. That brewery does have some other ones though that we that we we did like think enjoyable yeah. yeah yeah it's just that they they biffed that one um, mm. Mm. so speaking of delicious Oktoberfest beer let's talk about it what uh, hashtag fresh fest facts what what do you put these in usually what what do they put them in um, at October uh, festivals it's like a it's like a it's like if a mug wore a hat exactly right? yeah it's a stein a stein. I have a little bit on beer stands. I'm excited about that. You told me about this one. So, I used to have one. I don't know if I kept it. I may have. I used to have one of those really giant ones that was dimpled. And oh, it could okay. fit three beers in it. Ooh. It's probably a good thing I don't have that anymore. <laughs> but now we got to get them for this, though. We got to get them, but it's got a little shark head on top. We have oh, to get custom stop. made steins now. Ugh, gonna do that. Um, yeah, I used to. I can't remember. I used to have one. I think it was like. I think my, my former mother-in-law gave me one or something. 
and I never used it, and I think that's why then I had no real personal connection to it. <laughs> so when it disappeared, you're like, Meh. I think I just donated it or something. Mm. I'm not sure if I, I kept it. I think I might have gave it to like a resale shop or something like that. I can't remember. Could be. I might have just dropped off at like Salvation Army. <laughs> it's not sure. been like, I'm, like, I'm, hey, I'm done with you. It's a, it looks nice sitting on a shelf, but I didn't really need it. I don't know. Unless it's in a box somewhere. It could, I don't know, I might find it. It'll be an exciting day for you. Yeah, because then if I do... I'm gonna. Uh, you'll hear me drinking out of it on an episode of Sharktober. I would like to hear the clanking. <laughs> Every time I take a drink, you hear the little, <laughs> like the little cap fall down. Um, so yeah, tell me about Steins. Where? What's their deal? Um, so it is believed that's the reason the hinged lids. Mm-hmm. They created them during the Black Plague mm. to keep plague out of your beer. That's been refuted though by some oh, okay. people because the fleas obviously are the ones that passed it on. True. Um, but it's also just to keep flies and shit out too. They think it's there's no definitive answer on why they've made those the lids like that. Just seemed fun. Yeah, it is kind of fun though. Yeah. Well, it's like especially because they were big and you had a lot of booze in them. You know, you're gonna be especially if it's like a like an Oktoberfest beer. It's a thick beer. You know, you're not gonna be slamming it right. always. I mean, you do though. If you go to an Oktoberfest party, you you do. Um, you know, so maybe it's, it was just yeah, it was a keep the I don't know. The riffraff out of it. <laughs> I, I realized I had no end to that sentence. Uh, so the most traditional area of the Beerstein production is, it's a German word, I get to... Ooh, yeah. First, <laughs> Dustin's first fucked up pronunciation of the season. This one's not too bad. Okay. Uh, Kahnenbacherland. That sounds pretty good. All you right. do, see, here's the weird thing. You do pretty good with German words. It's English words that really fuck you up. Right. <laughs> Because, because even when I listen back to the old one, you you tried some uh, some German words and they came out all right. But it's also you just go, like, you gotta go like, and it right. sounds okay. You know what I mean? I believe as you put it, you gotta put some stank. You on gotta it. put some stank on it. You need to. So this is the, uh, it's in the Westerwald region in Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, this unique German potters region has been creating beer steins for centuries. Okay. So it's a big famous area for creating steins. That's very cool. Do do, do steins. Is there anything like do people get like personalized ones? Do you get them made to have a specific design, or is it just kind of a general like? I, like I always had a feeling. I guess they always seem so fancy and weird. It felt like something that everyone got like a personal one made back in the day. But I think I'm just putting my own no, idea. I do no? have something for you there. Oh, dope! It's one of my last things here. So a cool. Beerstein became a status symbol, a display oh. piece for German families. So you're right on par. Oh, with that. okay, okay. Because like a lot of them would have like like sigils on them and stuff like you know like coat of arms kind of deals Some yeah i bet a lot of them put their family crest on there that's what i'm wondering and then you yeah. obviously had to get the top all decked out yeah so yeah no you're right on with that oh cool okay that kind of shows like how well off your family is right yeah oh and oh in my house uh me and my family have big stupid cups yeah. so <laughs> we're uh we're doing pretty good as you can tell clink 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 yeah have you seen my big stupid cup that has its own mouth yeah uh i'm doing pretty good in life it's gonna get you. Clink, clink. Um, so, ordinary German beer mugs have been made out of glass for hygienic reasons. Mm. Uh, They're since washable. The, since the introduction of glass mugs to the 1892 Oktoberfest. Oh! So that's when they came into be. Um, and then. Came into be. Came into be. Yeah, see? English. <laughs> structuring. It didn't. I didn't catch it right away, and then I realized that sentence was technically wrong. Uh, 1892, that was, yeah, early on. Because wasn't it. it I, if. If listening to our own show makes me remember correctly, was it 1896 is when they introduced food and everything and I made it like so, the right? whole deal? That's I, when they, yeah. 
So like the 1890s when they're just like, all right, guys, we're going to make this a thing. We're on to something and we're making this a real festival. Just adding a new thing every year till we build up to it. Because really, like now, it hasn't changed much since then, really. No, because they, they broke, the, don't the fix it. tents and then food vendors. Yeah. yeah. The only thing that changed was David Hasselhoff. Like that's the only real thing. <laughs> That's changed. I can't remember what song. I'll have to re-look up. I can't remember what songs it was that got suddenly weirdly popular. At uh, We talked about it in one of the past episodes. Oh, we did. Um, wasn't it a John Denver song? Yes, that's right. Yeah, a uh, 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 country road or whatever, you know. Uh, country road, take me home. Yeah. That, for some reason, is a super popular. It's like a staple. Yeah, in Germany, too. Yeah, yeah. Germany, they all go say nuts. They, they hear it, like, and you just hear, and then you'll just hear a bunch of Germans just singing. Everyone it. just sings it. What a weird choice, because it even too just in is like West Virginia, <laughs> Mountain Mama. Like, I don't know why. That's like the one because he sings about America. Yeah, throughout the entire yeah, song. It's, it's specifically not about <laughs> Germany or Oktoberfest or anything, but. But so, that's, that's one of the new uh, innovations. Last quick thing. Okay. Uh, Beer stein. Mm-hmm. Stein comes from the German word for stone. Okay. Because that's what they used to be made out of clay and stuff like that way back right. when, obviously. Right. So beer stein also refers to the sugary residue left over from repeated drinking from the stein itself. Oh. So, yeah, beer stein. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that had a different meaning other than this is a stein for beer. Right. Oh. So. Huh. That's a fun one. Yeah. That's a, like some a, uh, hashtag fresh fest facts. Hashtag fresh fest facts. It's tough to say. I'm surprised I got through that. I you actually did great for. It. I mean, I I specifically added another F to it to make it hard for both of us to say we've been doing okay. Let's real quick just give a, another brief rundown of of what makes an Oktoberfest beer an Oktoberfest beer. Now this is something we just kind of know off the top of our heads at we this do. point. Um, so we've talked about Marzen. Marzen. March. It's, it's German. German for March, because that's when they start brewing it. They yes. brew it in March, yes. and then it ages. And the reason it needs to age is because uh, Oktoberfest beers are a lager, mm-hmm. which is a bottom-fermenting yeast. So they it ferments right at colder temperatures. So they would store these in caves, which are cooler. Yeah. And then they let them lager, which means they just kind of sit in condition. Okay, gotcha. For a while, and that's what helps the flavor. It helps everything marry and kind of... Yeah, you know, condition. So now, probably now that you're not doing it in caves and you're doing it with you know refrigerating units stuff, it probably doesn't take that much time. No, to, you uh, probably can make them a lot faster. Typically, now. a month to two months, depending okay. how long you want to do it for. The longer, the better. But okay. most breweries don't have that kind of time. That's the thing. I, I hope there's some that still like start in March and just let them sit. It's possible till October or September because that's we, that's the other thing we've covered. Now, yes. mostly Oktoberfest takes place in September. Um, they moved it earlier just for nicer weather. Yep, that's why they did it. Because um, it originally was created. It was a, it was a marriage between uh, two families. Yeah, I can't remember exactly. I can't remember the names either. But um, but it was it started as that. And yep, just a huge celebration, and they were which like, is like I mean, imagine that's pretty rad. Like like oh, like, hey, our wedding was so yeah. fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, our reception was so fucking lit. They do it every year. <laughs> <laughs> We've been dead for. for so long now and everyone's still partying about our wedding that rules you know it's, it's pretty dope that's pretty cool but yeah, yeah so so october fest october fest takes place in september the beer is named after march i've always just loved that paradox of uh it's, <laughs> of, it's of, fun when you break it down yes yeah um but yeah shells you're i'm about done with the first one too you already done with that one no not yet mm. 
it's I kind of want to savor it, but it's hard to put down. It's really I just keep going back. It's really yeah. good. It's really tasty. I was worried for a second that I'm like, what if shells isn't as good? Oh yeah, there's always that concern. I got scared for a second. Things are never as good as you remember. Yeah, but this one is. Yeah, this one I'm like, just like Jaws. Yeah, absolutely, just like Jaws. We should probably just get into that, huh? Yes. Keep listening to the next segment. We'll get into Jaws. Here we go. <laughs> the torso has been severed in mid thorax. There are no major organs remaining. May I have a glass of water, please? Right arm has been severed above the elbow with massive tissue loss in the upper musculature. Didn't you get out of boat and check out these waters? No. Well, this is not a boat accident. It wasn't any propeller. It wasn't any coral reef. And it wasn't Jack the Ripper. It was a shark. Jaws. 1975. Directed by Steven Spielberg. Written by Peter Benchley and Carl Gottlieb, based on Peter Benchley's novel. Um, we mentioned last year that Peter Benchley is in the movie. He cameos as the reporter at the beach. Carl Gottlieb's in the movie, too. Ooh, what part does he, he play? He is um, the the newspaper editor. The guy with the mustache. Yep. And the, like that's, that's Carl Gottlieb. Nice. He was a TV writer. He wrote for the... Um, the Odd Couple TV show. Yeah, I did hear that. And they brought him into... Uh, him and Steven were friends way back when. Him and Steven. Our friend Steven. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, well, and uh, well, Spielberg wanted to have more humor in it, so he brought on a comedy TV writer, but then he ended up becoming the main uh, screenwriter because he, like... Made, oh, yeah, he moved in with him, and yeah. they were, like, changing the script daily. They're <laughs> still married. No, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, because... Peter Benchley's draft, because uh, he wasn't a screenwriter. He, I mean, he was barely even a novelist. He was actually like a deep sea diver, kind of. He was just kind of floating around, it seemed like. Um, yeah, he wrote, I think, for... Like he National wrote articles. Yeah, I think yeah. it was National Geographic. Yeah, he was like he was like a... a, a Columnist, yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, we were kind of thinking like, okay, we've already done this movie. This is the first time we've ever done a movie twice. So this is a new, whole new deal for us. Here. Yeah. So we had a fi- we're trying to figure out how to navigate this yeah. in a somewhat new way. So how should we make it different? Like last year, though, listening to it, um, it was a little bit, we focused a little bit more on like the making of the movie, even though we just kind of talked about that a little more here. Uh, this was new info, though. Um, we focused on that and then kind of, I think, what what led to the movie's legacy a little bit. And then we also talked about stuff that inspired the movie. Um, yeah, we we talked around the movie a lot. We did. We didn't really go through the movie. So I think this time we're going to kind of do a, a step-by-step kind of breakdown of the movie a little bit. We'll, you know, we'll try to keep it. I have three pages of notes, which is wild. <laughs> um, you could write a lot of stuff down when you watch a good movie and you don't just get frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> and you just give up. Because I do. The last few movies we watched, once it gets to halfway through Act 2, I don't write anything down anymore because I'm like, whatever. Uh, but Jaws, I, I was really trying to keep out, keep an eye out for new stuff, new things we didn't really talk about. Um, and I think a fun way to do it is, I, I think most people have seen Jaws, um, who are like, I think, film buffs, obviously. Oh, yeah. Um, if you haven't seen Jaws, it is currently streaming on Netflix, and most people seem to have Netflix, so you should absolutely take the time to watch it. Um, and even if you don't, before you listen to this, and you decide to listen to this anyway, um, still go watch it. Yes. It, if you're put off by coming out in 75, don't be. Don't be Looks at all. great. Feels modern somehow still. It really does. And what amazes me too is for the first hour of the movie, it's a, it's a fairly, how do I want to put this? It, it's it's very simple in how it's it's constructed. 
it's not a showy movie for most of it. It's a pretty straightforward kind of character drama, sort of. Yeah, it's it's very easy to follow. Yeah, and part of my but analysis, you get sucked in. Though. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And part of my analysis, I kind of figured out the first half of the movie is kind of a detective movie. Yeah, they're kind of buddy cops, Hooper and Brody, and they're they're looking for their killer. It's a good way to look at it. Yeah. And once once I kind of put that in my head, and it, it I don't know, it made the movie kind of fall in place. I'm like, oh, that's why it works so well. It's an investigation movie, and we just get these these glimpses of the killer they're chasing. You know what I mean? It, yeah. It's it's very, but it's very skillfully done. Um, that's what makes it such a classic and not just a good action, you know, blockbuster right. movie, but also just it's it's a great movie. It's very very well made. Well, in the the chemistry of all the actors, everyone's great in it. They all work together really well, and the ones that don't, it works for the movie. Yeah, the ones who just seem like weird townies, it's because they're playing weird townies, right. so it really works in that way. So here's another thing, too, that I just want to say this quickly, we, and we mentioned this last year when we talked about it, and everyone talks about in Jaws, so like, uh, uh, what makes it so effective to it's it's so long before you see the shark at all. And part of that is because, too, once in the second half of the movie, especially the shark, the the mechanical sharks they built uh, were, were fucked up by the salt water. <laughs> So they were they barely functioned. So they had to cut around it a lot. But also in the beginning, it's more intentional. And what's really interesting is not only do you not see the shark for a while, they don't show you hardly any effect the shark has through most of it. Yeah, I noticed that as well. They keep that very hidden. Yeah, because it's not even just that, oh, you don't see the shark, so that's up to your imagination. They also don't show you the the violence. That yeah, it, like the devastation the, it's caused. You you just get hints of it. And it slowly doles that out, too. And yeah. I think that, that has to work in conjunction with the, we're not showing you a shark yet. We're also not showing you how it's killed people yet. Well, it helps because then you have to plug it in, and you probably make it a lot worse than exactly. the movie's going to. You're, no no image will ever top what your imagination can come up with, what, with what scares you. So I, I guess, I mean, let's start at the beginning. Let's start right at the beginning. And literally the beginning. Because it opens with the POV shot, you know, the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. And it's just, it's just the camera going through the ocean. And just the bump, 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 bump. And then it stops, and then it goes to the campfire of all the teens hanging out. What I love, and I'm, I'm sorry to be immediately hung up on such a, a small thing, but I, I, just because last year we talked about how, like, especially all the Jaws movies, they started with that, and then like the POV would lead to the shark doing something, usually yeah. lead to a kill or whatever. Every time, yeah. What I love is this movie just shows you that, and then it goes right to the goes right next to the scene. rest of it, and then doesn't play any music, and it doesn't do that POV shot again till a while. Not until like one of the next kills, I think. Then it like everyone thinks of this movie as that. It's just the opening credits. It's just Jaws, some titles. All right, all right. Now we're to the characters. Here's a beach party. Yeah. Here's a beach party. Like yeah. And I noticed this time that's where it already starts immediately with all the conversations going on, mm-hmm. where it's not focused on one person even. It just pans across this group of people, and yeah. they're all having their own conversation. Yeah. You know, and Spielberg's so good with that because then it's about the characters who are looking at each other, not who, not you're not hearing anybody talk. You don't really care. Um, here's a weird thing too, a weird detail I loved. I noticed when the guy, because there's two two characters, uh, Chrissy is the girl, and then I don't know, I don't know if we get the guy's name. I don't think so. But they kind of give each other they're 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 eye fucking, and um, he takes a drink out of his plastic cup, and I love this. The bottom of his cup is caked in sand. Which is such a, a small detail and but seems yeah, pointless. But it, usually it, you think that the prop guy is just going to hand him a hand cup. Hand him a cup, go. But like, what I love that they even built now, like, oh, they've been out here drinking all night. 
they've had their cups just sitting in the right. sand. And I don't know why that was just a simple little set dressing well, thing, a little prop dressing thing that you don't even realize, but yeah. you're perceiving it, and mm-hmm. it's building more of the story for you. And I don't even know why this time it caught my eye. I just happened to look at it, and I was just like, "I'm like, oh, that's a great detail. That lets you know, like, hey, we've been out here." drinking tonight yeah. at this bonfire well that's something with jaws too we've noticed is that there's a ton of little details a ton of little just details puts in almost every set if you look in the background um oh yeah like last year we talked about the karate you know the karate thing and the fence is actually i saw those this, this year good, i saw good. those this year and it's perfect well chief what have you got on Polly? if this new filing system is going to work you've got to keep that outdated stuff off my desk just the pending all right yes chief now we got a bunch of calls about that karate school. It seems that the nine-year-olds from the school have been karateing the picket fences. Chief Brody's office. Do you need to open that, my friend? Yes, sir. Do it. Oh, that was a good crack. Let me join you. God damn shells. How about this? I have an idea. What if we do a flash run of the plot? Just actually run through the beats of the movie. Just do a really quick, like, here's what fucking happens in Jaws. Then go back and pick the minutia, maybe. Yeah, we would, could do that. Would that be a better... Because otherwise we're going to get really hung up. That's what I think. I feel like then we're never going to get through any scene without actually telling what the scene's about. <laughs> so we'll, let's kind of... I think we should split it that way. That might be a good way of doing it, maybe. Yes. All right. So let's start Let's start the, the, the story section. Let's sprint through that. So... Uh, it starts with the very famous scene of the girl being uh, dragged under the water. Um, uh, Chrissy, they go out there, th- these two teens, they go, they're going to go skinny dipping. He falls down. He's too drunk to get in the water, and he falls out. She goes in skinny dipping, and then something pulls her leg, and then she gets thrashed around, and then she's eventually pulled underneath the water. The next day, we are introduced to um, the chief of police, Martin Brody. Martin Brody. Martin Brody, played by Roy Scheider. Uh, and he's family man that we learned that they just moved to because Amity is in. Well, it's, it's shot in Martha's Vineyard, and they do mention like East Coast or up. Well, yeah, I, I, so I think Amity's meant to be like rural New York. You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe, but it's an island though, or is it? Yeah, or is it? Yeah, is it supposed to be off the coast, or is it? Because they also make references. Oh, I think it's off of Massachusetts because they make references yeah. to like you know it's the yard and stuff like that. Right in the beginning, yes, yeah, she's like. So I think it, it must say be it like, yeah. You got to say it like Massachusetts, and then so she's I wonder like, if, yeah. oh, you, that sounds new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, he he says uh, uh, the kids are in the yard, not too far from the car. How's that? She goes, you sound like you're from New York. So yeah, it must be off the coast of, of Massachusetts then. Um, and he gets the call that they someone's missing, and it's that girl. And so he goes down to the beach. Uh, he meets the teen who passed out on the beach. Yeah, he meets that teen. He's like, oh, she must have drowned. I never saw her. And then we hear whistling, and another cop found the body of Chrissy. Yes. And we don't see the carnage, but we can assume... You can surmise what happened. It's not good. Yes. Um, it gets uh, classified as a... Amity's a very sleepy town. Nothing really happens there. And everyone's gearing up for the 4th of July celebration. Um, it's a big beach town, big summer town. Um, but uh, the cause of death is a shark attack. And so Brody wants to close down the beaches. And as he's on his way to do that, he gets confronted by the mayor, Mayor Vaughn, um, who makes this whole deal about, like, well, he can't, he can't shut down the beaches as we're a summer town. Martin, you, you going to shut down the beaches on your own authority? Well, what other authority do I need? Well, technically, you need a civic ordinance or a resolution by a board of select. That's just going by the book. We're really a little anxious that you're uh, 
You're rushing into something serious here. It's your first summer, you know. What does that mean? I'm only trying to say that Amity is a summer town. We need summer dollars. If the people can't swim here, they'll be glad to swim at the beaches of Cape Cod, the Hamptons, Long Island. That doesn't mean we have to serve them up a smorgasbord. We never had that kind of trouble in these waters. Uh, you know, you, you you see you say barracuda, people go, what, huh? You, you say shark, you got to panic on the Fourth of July. <laughs> You're not wrong. That seems so good, and I just I love uh, the guy. I can't think of his name right now. Murray Hamilton, who plays uh, Larry Vaughn, he's great. Oh, he plays movie. the best asshole ever. He, he he and like he plays a great asshole, but it's also he does a good job of also putting in like you get where he's coming from. Because I love his decay throughout the movie, where he oh, slowly yeah. he slowly realizes Realizing like, what he, he's done. He fucked up, and no, he, you know, in his mind, he he truly thinks he's doing what's best for the town. Yeah, yeah. He well, he needs to stay the mayor. You know, he needs yeah. to make sure the the town does good. And 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 then by the you know the end of his arc, uh, he's very distraught and realizes he has fucked up a lot, which is a great. I love when. I wouldn't call him necessarily the villain. He is the villain for the first act, kind of. You know, the first half of the movie. He's betrayed to be, for sure. A little bit. And I, I love when when antagonistic characters also get a good arc where he gets to be changed by what happened. Yeah. And that doesn't happen a lot. You know what I mean? Usually, no, usually, usually you kind of just throw that character away. Yeah. And yeah, or they just, they just lose. They, they yeah. just get to lose. They look, get to look like fools or whatever. And I love with him, it's a slow decline into being like, oh, fuck. Oh, okay. But refuses to close down the beaches. They, um, sorry, I have so many notes here about like every fucking shot in this movie. So I have to look down to where uh, the next scene is. Then they're all on the beach. That's right. Then where all the people are on the beach because they're leaving the beaches open. And so Brody's there and he's on edge and he's looking to see, you know, if anyone goes missing or anything like that. He's, he's really, he's kind of on edge the whole really time. Really on edge. And he also doesn't like the water. He does not, he's afraid of the water anyway. And then now he's the chief of this island town. So, and now he's dealing with like water problems. It's it's not a great position for him to be in. Um, but uh, he's on edge, and people are just coming in with petty problems. And then uh, a small child gets killed by a shark, and we just see him get fall into the water and blood come out. Um, and a young boy named Alex Kittner. Then it it cuts after that. Then there's this big town, town meeting. Yeah. yeah, like the the town hall or whatever uh, kind of meeting, um, which seems to have all of the towns. Influential people. Yeah, there you go. There's yeah, there's hoteliers, business there's owners, the, the newspaper editor. There's yeah, and then we also have fishermen there too. And all fishermen because uh, Alex Kintner's mother, uh, she put out a bounty on the shark, three thousand yes. dollars for who brings brings in the shark that killed her son. So all these fishermen now are ready to go hunting, uh, go on a shark bender, and um, and we are introduced to Quint, played by Robert Shaw. He uh, he, very famous scene where he runs his nails along the back the, the blackboard, and uh, um, and he makes this deal about how like this isn't just some little shark, you know. <laughs> no, he knows. Y'all know me. Know how I earn a living. I'll catch this bird for you, but it ain't gonna be easy. I value my neck a lot more than three thousand bucks, chief. Find him for three, but I'll catch him and kill him for ten. I don't want no volunteers. I don't want no mates. There's too many captains on this island. $10,000 for me by myself. For that, you get the head, the tail, the whole damn thing. 
Robert Shaw is fucking amazing. He in this is movie. incredible well, in this movie. He's so good in this movie, and it's amazing. He was uh, drunk just for most of it. Hammered for just so drunk. Uh, a, <laughs> we'll talk about it later, but you can tell. You can tell what certain scenes, scenes were cut in and out. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get to that when we when we come back around. You can tell the scenes where he's had uh, he's had a, a pull. Uh, <laughs> but, um, uh, he's he's fucking astounding in this movie. Actually, um, so they asked Brody Martin Brody. Are we going to close the beaches? He says, yeah, we're closing He says, them. yes, but the mayor real quick just goes, but uh, only for 24 hours. And Brody's like, I didn't agree to that. So there's this push-pull there. Um, and then they close the beaches. Oh, well, first there's also a scene of these. Uh, I realized this because we talked about how in all the other shark movies we kept having this theme of like night poachers. Of like guys who are going yes, to like get coral ha- and whatever happened way too many times. I realize in this movie we got some night poachers because the guys go out there and they try to fish with a, a, a Christmas roast, throwing it there. They and they're, do. They're the original night. They are the fishermen. first night poachers, and okay. then it. it uh, but these guys are, are hunting the shark, and then uh, something not only pulls on the the roast they have, but it it tears down the entire dock. So now we know um, that uh, this is a very powerful beast that is in the water which yeah it's a good way to show how strong the shark is without showing the shark again it's great because yeah instead of just doing another kill because if you keep just doing kills they get boring and what's great with this one instead of a kill we get a show of power yeah now we're showing like oh this isn't just a shark it's the shark you know what i mean it's like absolutely this is like yeah this is a real force of nature so because first like okay killed a drunk person okay out in the middle of you know no one's around to help whatever killing a kid you know they're small you know yeah, children. They're they're very edible. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. Like that happens. And so next, instead of just doing another kill of like just killing some guys at night again, it's a, now it's like now, oh now it ripped dock off. Yeah, and look, it's dragging it out to sea. Look how fucking powerful this creature is. And they, and those guys don't die. They get away. And that's why I think it's a smart move of not having another kill to to numb you to the death. Instead, now it's like oh no, this is scary for a different reason. Yeah, and it was a good tension builder too. Absolutely, which is, which is super smart. Um, then we are introduced to now all these new fishermen have come into town. They're bringing dynamite and whatever. They they want to get that the bounty because um, they think uh, what's what's her name uh, Mrs. Kintner's name I can't remember her first name uh, but she must have put the ad in some papers. She's gone outside of the area now and now she's just so now the entire East Coast is coming to hunt some <laughs> fucking sharks. And then we are also introduced to uh, Matt Hooper played by Richard Dreyfus. He is someone, he's actually, Brody called him. He's from the Oceanographic Institute. He's a shark expert, and he got called to come in and help. Um, and he goes and looks at the remains of the first victim, Chrissy, uh, which we forgot to mention that the mayor also coerced the the mortician to change it to a boat accident instead yes. of a shark attack. He looks at it and he's like, yeah, this is the fucking shark attack, you assholes. <laughs> like, Immediately, yeah. How dare Even, you? Even like has an estimation on the bite radius yeah yeah really puts him in his place and everything uh and then they find a shark hooper doesn't think it's the same shark everyone's like ah, it's the shark that killed alex kittner and then mrs kittner shows up slaps brody in the face and she's like so a lady died from a shark attack and you knew and you did nothing i just found out that a girl got killed here last week and you knew it you knew there was a shark out there you knew it was dangerous but you let people go swimming anyway you knew all those things but still my boy is dead now 
there's nothing you can do about it. But he he was trying to. Yeah, he really got but, thrown under the bus on yeah. that one. But he but it's also he then he takes it personal and also it makes him then uh really go uh go rogue a little bit, if you will, much like the shark, which is a rogue shark. Which is funny cuz the scene the next scene is that when Hooper shows up for dinner with the uh the Brody family. Yep. And Brody's getting drunk and he's clearly getting upset and that's the first time they mention a rogue shark and that's the scene where they decide to go rogue. True. Just notice that right now. Just notice that right now. I think that's pretty good. Because then they decide, fuck it. We're going to get drunk and we're going to cut open that fucking shark and see if there's a kid in there. I, yeah. It's the best scene ever. It's a really good We're going to have another drink. We're going to go cut open that shark. And then uh, and then Hooper, I believe it, Hooper says, either Hooper or Ellen, I can't remember, just goes, can, can you, you do, do that? that? And he goes, I can do anything I want. I'm the chief of police. <laughs> <laughs> and they go and they cut open the shark. It's a tiger shark. And uh, there's no human remains in there. There's fish, and there's a license plate, a Louisiana license plate. Um, and if he says when he pulls it out, he goes, just I thought. I thought he, sw- he swam up river from, from southern waters. And there you go. So, so there's also with these little things of showing, like, Hooper knows this shit. Right. Yeah, they're, they're telling us without telling us yeah. specifically that he's a very smart shark expert. Mm-hmm. They decide to go look for the shark at night. Yeah. Uh, and Brody goes under protest. <laughs> Yeah, because Brody's afraid of the water. Yes, and he says, "I'm not. I'm. I'm not drunk enough to get on a boat yet." And Hooper goes, "Yes, you are." No, I'm not. Yes, you are. We can't do this. <laughs> yes, we can. <laughs> nice. That was good. Come on, high five me. Ah, that was. We barely reached the high five, but that was that was good. We just did that little scene. I love I, that scene. I so love much. that moment. I love that moment. And then they're out on the boat, and that's where we learn a little more about Brody too, because he's drunk and he's ranting about how in New York you can never catch up. On crime, you feel like you don't, you can't make a difference. But in a town like Amity, a cop can make a difference because he just, he just yeah. wants to make a difference. It's a, it's a another really example of a really good scene of putting in some exposition to tell us more about yeah. Brody without it being a speech. You know what yeah. I mean? Without it being a speech scene of like, here's everything. It's not an exposition dump. It's just a little exposition moment. Yeah, it's a character moment, and he's drunk too, so it makes it even better that he's just ranting about, you know, because that's what that's well, it what makes happens. sense that you would ramble. Yeah, yeah, you just ramble. You're out in the boat. You're looking else for you nothing. Yeah. Because even Brody or you know, Hooper, he's just eating pretzels yeah. and he's just like, <laughs> hey, Yeah, I know. Want one? <laughs> you want pretzel? <laughs> and then I loved it too, because he's got all his equipment. And we talked about this last year too, but it's it's one of my favorite lines in the movie. Um, because Brody's he's like, How do you afford all this stuff? He's like, You must be rich or whatever. And Hooper just goes, Yeah, I I am. <laughs> and he goes, How much money do you have? And he goes, Me or the whole family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love that. I, I can't think of any other movie that's done that to be like, oh, just this character's wealthy and who cares? He comes from a rich family and he was into sharks, so he uses all of his money for that. Okie doke. Like, I, it's kind of brilliant. A great blow of like, oh, this isn't government funded. This isn't. And that's why it makes sense that he's just there and he's interested so he can do whatever he wants with his gear. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's, there's no restrictions. There's no it. boss that yeah. he has to he has to report to. He's like, oh, no, I'm just, I'm a rich guy <laughs> and I'm obsessed with sharks. So I bought all this shit. <laughs> Like, I, I, it's a genius moment. Um, but they find a boat. They find a derelict boat uh, that they recognize as a town person. And then they find a dead body inside of it and notice that the, the boat uh, has a big bite out of it and also has a tooth stuck in it the size of a shot glass, which is the, the official measuring unit of oh. Sharktoberfest. <laughs> and then they argue with the mayor about closing down the beaches. He's still refusing to close down the beaches because 4th of July is coming. And then 4th of July comes, so we get... Montage of a shitload of people showing up. Yes, a lot of people coming off a ferry, so yeah, driving home. It's an island, and several ferries keep showing, like uh, several showing up. People driving their cars out. It's like people come for the whole fucking summer. This is a summer town. Yes, 
but apparently everyone still kind of knows there's a shark because no one wants to go in the no water. No one wants to go in the water. And there's a lot of reporters there, too. Like, they show not just the one that Peter Benchley plays, but also they show other ones with cameras and headsets and microphones. Like, everyone's got their eye on this town because they know yeah. there have been a couple of shark deaths. But the mayor has convinced everyone that that tiger shark was, in fact, it was the, one. the shark. It was the one. We got it. It's good. And he convinces people to go back in the water, and they do. Uh, and then... Um, well, initially we we get we get a fake out that we think a shark is there, but then it turns out it's two kids with a shark fin on their head, and so it's like ah, false alarm, whatever. And then what the what? There is the shark, but he's in the pond. He's in the little lagoon. Who else is in the lagoon? Brody's kids. Brody's kids are in there, and some other guy who gets eaten. <laughs> some poor sap. Um, which is great because then that's our first view of the shark, and that is. At um, I believe at like an hour two in is our first actual look of the shark. Sounds about genius. right. That's um, right before we get into the what we call the second movie. Almost it's almost two movies. We talked about this last. We year. We talked about this last year, and it very much is. It's very much two movies almost. Uh, but they they still fit in the overall arc of one movie. But it really kind of they separate the movie into like two distinct chunks. Um, and also, which is really smart because that one we get another kill of the guy who gets uh, eaten by by the big shark. But by that point, too, we'll be like, okay, we're expecting someone else to get eaten by the shark. But now Brody's kids are there. So now we have this personal connection The the of the main character gets this now personal connection of now it's not just about stopping a shark to save people. It's like now, like, my kids are in fucking danger. You know, I even had them go to the safer part of the water, the the, the little inlet lagoon that no one goes into. And they almost got killed by so the shark. Now it's... uh. Now it's personal. Yeah, yeah. Jaws for the revenge. This time it's personal. <laughs> um, and so that was then the the next scene is when they're in the hospital and the and uh, the Brody kid is he's in shock and that's that's the great scene where then uh, Larry Vaughn shows up the mayor and he's just distraught and he's like my kids were in the water too and he's that's where he, like you see him just like realizing he's, like he's he's broken he's broken point. he fucked up so bad and he knows it. Larry, the summer is over. You're the mayor of Shark City. These people think you want the beaches open. I, I was, I was, I was acting in the in the town's best interest. That's, that's right. You were acting, acting in the town's, town's best interest, and that's why you're going to do the right thing. That's why you're going to sign this, and we're going to pay that guy what he wants. Martin, Martin, my kids were on that beach too. Sign it, Larry. So now then we're into the second half of the movie. And this is, yeah, we're like an hour. They go out into the water at an hour 12, I noticed. And it's a, it's a two hour, maybe like two hour and like a couple minutes yeah, over. Yeah, like a little over, yep. But so like pretty damn near of like halfway through. Now it's like, all right, now we are going on the offensive. We are going into the water after the shark. Quint is, uh, you know, he's a real, he's a he's a eccentric sailor. That's a, a fisherman. <laughs> yeah. That's a good way to put it. Um. He didn't want to take Brody and Hooper with him, but Brody insists on going because he's personally invested, and Hooper just wants to because he's a shark expert and you know wants to you know I think both for his knowledge and also you know he also cares. Him and Brody are very much on the same page of like we we yeah, want to catch want the shark. to stop the shark. Yeah, to for the people of this town. Then they go out there. Uh, this we can probably run through a little bit faster, but they they go out there and they we have these scenes of them finding the shark and attaching barrels to it. Yeah, uh, which is a genius way to not show the shark exactly show the shark you can show a barrel floating along and it means a shark down there 
Um, we get a, a scene then after they're out there for a night because they have a barrel attached to it and they want to make sure they they see it when it comes up. So they stay out for the night and they get drunk. Um, and Quint reveals that he was a survivor of the USS Indianapolis, which is a real boat. Um, it delivered uh, the the bomb that was dropped on uh, Hiroshima in World War II. They they delivered it to the uh, the the plane, the Enola Gay. That took it off. We did an episode last year about the USS Indianapolis and a we movie sure about it, yes. um, which I think is one of our better ones from last year. So I think if you know if you're gonna if you're gonna just pepper through uh, Sharktober, check that should, one out. You should very, listen to that one. Very factual. It's a great great story. And a yeah. pretty good TV movie. Weirdly, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, was yeah one we, of, it was one of the better movies it was, we watched. <laughs> it was one of the better ones, and it shouldn't have been, but it absolutely was. Yeah, hundred percent. But so I, I think it, it builds this 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 little thing of like he's got this vendetta against sharks, but it's not an overwhelming motivation. You know what I mean? Yeah. That and he's just kind of a crazy person he's just in general. He's he's clearly got some demons. He's clearly yeah. kind of broken in a way. Um, but even says like after that because they survived in the water for so long, and he's like, "I'll never put a life jacket on ever yeah. again." Well, I think that really changed him as a person Absolutely. forever. And 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 then at the end of the movie, when because now it's them them on the boat and hunting the fish is great too. It's it's there's less to tell like in a point by point without just telling you what happens in every little scene. Um, but eventually the shark goes on the offensive and attacks the boat. And it's actually that night that it first attacks it. Um, and then the next day it attacks it again and there's a, the engine dies and the, the engine's full of water and stuff like that. And then he does give life jackets to Brody and Hooper, yeah. but refuses to put one on himself. Well, that's also kind of where we see Quint having a weird vendetta against the shark, almost a death wish too, because he does kill the motor himself. I, yeah, I think he's almost decided, like, well, if I'm going to go down... It, it's, he's very Captain Ahab from, like, Moby Dick. You know yeah, what I mean? It's absolutely. very much like, well, if I'm going to go down, it's going to be doing this. Yep. And, you know... And he he's blinded by it for a bit. What I love is they have him come back a little bit and realizing that he's out of his element and he's dealing with something he's never dealt with before. Because the shark ends up taking three barrels to slow it down, which no shark has ever taken. He mentions once, like this huge one, I, like had this, put, I had to put, I had put two barrels in. No way it can take two barrels. No then. way it can take two. It can't stay down with three, and then it immediately takes them down and never comes back up. And it's like, oh. And so then he right away then is like Hooper. He's he's like you've you've got stuff. Yeah. <laughs> what can you do with your gear you brought? Those? Oh yeah, yeah. Because he made fun of him about pretty hard, but now he's like yeah, relying on that. And they do a great job of showing their camaraderie, like the three of them. Of, because uh, he clearly has this respect for Hooper because Hooper knows how to be on a boat and do nautical stuff, you know. Yeah. Um. He's but he's he he first initially takes an interest in Brody because Brody knows nothing, so he wants to teach him how to like tie knots. And, yeah. Like, he kind of wants to take him under his wing a little bit. A little bit like yeah. that. But then when the shit goes off, he's like he's like Brody back there, Hooper, come do this. Yeah. Like you know, because like there's clearly this trust there, and then they build a camaraderie. Well, um, and then in the beginning too, he kind of treats uh Brody as like a greenhorn where he's making him chum. Yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. well, how about we have Hooper do this? Hooper, Hoop- dri- Hooper drives the boat, you chum. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's like it's like it, it, Hooper is like his first mate, kind of, and be- eventually there's uh, a little more respect between them after the Indianapolis scene, especially. And then I noticed like the next scene they have to they have to fix the motor, and you see both their hands from below deck just popping up and grabbing. Yeah. And you hear their voices. They're it's both their hands, and they both have blue sleeved shirts on so you kind of can't tell a difference between them which i think is actually a really smart way to show like oh they're on the same page now yeah they were at odds yeah before, subconsciously they're kind of like, but now these guys they're on the same page you're not even really sure which one's which you're pretty sure the one closer is quint but it could be either from yeah. how your, their voices sound 
Uh, and I just noticed that was like an interesting visual way to show like, I'm like, oh, they're they're on the same page now. Same goal. Yeah, yeah. Well, after the the drunk scene, the singing, they they're they've they've bonded. Well, and it's part of that they bonded, but also like they you know because they compared scars and stuff like that. But also when you know when Quint mentions like oh Who I tells the story about yeah. the Indianapolis right away, Hooper knows what that means, and I think he recognizes that. The like Hooper knows his world more than he wanted to admit. Well, his uh, facial expressions change pretty heavily mm-hmm. when he tells the story. Yeah, Quint goes a little crazy again, destroys the the radio, because <laughs> uh, he wants to kill this freaking shark. Oh yeah, and the shark they they send Hooper down and in you, a cage. You can tell it's not like a money motivation at all. It's a vendetta. Yes. It's a vendetta. At that point, it is no longer about money. It's no longer about pride. It's just this vendetta against nature, uh, and he wants to be the one to capture. That's that's where like that's where he becomes the Captain Ahab of this. Is like oh I don't this is gonna kill me. Probably, and I don't really care. So here we go. Because yeah. <laughs> um, even after that scene, when he looks at the life jackets and he gets them, you also notice he came out like in his jacket, his like army jacket, and his hat. Like he yeah. came, he came out dressed for battle. Right. Yep. You know what I mean. Um, and then because uh, the at this point too, the shark has dragged the boat. Not only can it handle three barrels, but it also they try to tie the barrels to the yeah. boat and it dragged the boats. Which and there, that's a lot where they keep being like, "This is impossible." Has a shark ever done this before? No. And it's like that's where like and you that's where Quint starts realizing like, "Oh, this is a new thing." Oh shit, I've never dealt with this. No one's ever dealt with this. Um, that's why he trusts Hooper then to go down in a cage. He's gonna to try to stab it with poison, which in then, the mouth because he in the mouth he mentions can't, he can't pierce can't get the through skin. the hide. But if he's in the cage, he can get it close to it, put the uh, the poison in the mouth. But the shark fucks up the cage. Yes, and so he just hides, swims to the bottom, and just hides. Uh, then the shark jumps on the boat, uh, and uh, it starts tilting back. And Quint slowly slides into the shark's mouth, and he's taken into the water. Um, Brody hides inside, and the shark, as the boat's slowly sinking, the, the shark busts into the cabin, and uh, Brody hits it with a, an oxygen tank and then throws it in its mouth uh, and then gets to the top of the, the crow's nest as it's slowly sinking to the water and has yep. uh, Quint's rifle and uh, shoots it in the mouth in the, the, the oxygen tank, and it blows the fucking shark up. Because, hell yeah. Yeah. And then Hooper comes back up, and then they they swim to land, and that's the that's the end of Jaws. That's, that's the, the run story. Of it. Yeah. So I don't know. There's a quick little story um, about it. <laughs> it's even even with that right there, just that quick little rundown of like everything happens. It's just good story beats of one beat always leads to the other. You know what I mean? I talked about this last year a little bit too. Of of great simple movies, one of the easiest things to, to help tie it all together is just cause and effect. Does each scene make the next scene matter? You yeah. know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. No, we've talked about it. It's it's good when you don't waste scenes just for yeah. a scene. Yeah, it's it's a great. There was a great uh, piece of writing advice that's actually um, you can find it on YouTube, but it, it was um, uh, Matt Stone and Trey Parker. I can't remember if we've talked about this in the show before. I think we have. We maybe or we just have. personally. I don't know because our life is the show. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say it again because it's great writing advice and it's always stuck with me. And especially helps when you're analyzing something. Um, but they they this great speech. They just showed up at like a college, like NYU or something, to just do a, a class to just like sit in and talk about writing. And and Trey Parker had this great thing. He's like, how we beat out. So those are the creators of South Park. For anyone who doesn't know, that's the guys. They've created South Park. They did uh, uh, Team America: World Police, uh, Book of ba- Mormon, basketball. Base- well, they didn't write that. Oh, it's true. They or- were just in orgasmo. It. 
They wrote it and directed it. Orgasmo, okay. Cannibal the Musical. Yeah. Uh, but they, um, but especially you see it in South Park, like the way they beat out their stories. Um, and he says that one of the imp- simplest things we learned to like make story beats tie together is instead of being like this happens and then this happens and then this happens. He's like, get rid of and then and replace it with but or therefore. So this happens, therefore this happens, but this happens, so therefore this happens. And in a movie like this, you can really see that. Of like this yeah. this decision is made, which therefore leads to this decision, but this thing happens, therefore this decision has to be made. And it's just simple. It's just streamlined storytelling. And then even the scenes where it doesn't necessarily lead to something, like the scene with uh, Martin and his son, it, yeah. it kind of makes them more human. Yeah, and you kind of like the character a little more. Yeah, I, I love the 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 family moments in this movie because I do feel like they are just characterization moments. But also, with each each one happens at uh, his slowly descending like darkest moments. He has one to kind of recheck in of why he should give a fuck. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because that right. scene especially is when he's just that's when that's after he got slapped and he's Alex really Kintner called him out and he's feeling like he fucking failed like and at like, his yeah, lowest. This, this yeah. kid died and this mom blames me and he gets to have this cute one with his son and then his wife talks to him and stuff too. And that's the when he makes the decision of like fuck it, I'm I'm gonna go for it. And it's so like I guess it is kind of a cause and effect I well, guess. It, it absolutely is but it's 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 that's the the subtle version I'd say it's of more like, subtle yeah it's more subtle of like oh this is caused by this and the effect is to go for it. like you don't need that to make him deciding to go for it matter it helps though it raises the stakes it raises the stakes it makes him it makes it feel more personal of a decision rather than a rather than a device like a plot device decision now it's more of a like no, like, what if it was my kid? Now I just have a moment with my kid. Why well, right, fuck? All right, I'm gonna figure out this fucking shark thing. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yes. Um, it's very smart. Uh, so I think maybe we should take a quick break. Yes. And then, uh, should we then? So that was the story beat out. But now it's like we we got some analysis stuff. Should we dig into more of that kind of re? Yeah, we'll do a little bit. On we'll that. down to the second part of it. There you go. I'm gonna make a phone call. Hello, Mayday Orca, Coast Guard. Okay, so that's the plot. That's the rundown. That's the rundown. So now we can go back and talk about these analytical things, and now you have the the context. The you know now you know where we are, who we're talking about, what's going on. Because otherwise, I think this would have been a very uh, a tedious, confusing telling of the movie <laughs> if we had combined uh, both the analysis. And the the, uh, the synopsis, yeah. yeah. Um, so I want to take you back to that first thing I said about the, the POV shot under the water, how it opens with that tracking shot in the ocean. You know, the dun 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 dun. It's really smart how they slowly parse out the the shark because even that opening shot, we don't even know if it's a POV shot. It's just a shot underwater. Right? Yeah, right away we just we're just underwater. 
And we just get the theme, and then the kill is completely uh, unattached from that. It just happens, right? Um, the next time we get that shot is when Alex Kintner, the kid, gets killed. Because we actually get an underwater POV shot with the dun-dun-dun-dun, yeah, and it comes up of, underneath him. Yeah, and we see a lot of people swimming before that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're just getting that, but then we get the actual dun-dun-dun-dun POV up on the kid, and then he gets pulled underneath blood. Um, and then the next kill, well, then the next thing we get is the dock being pulled. We don't get a kill there. The next kill we get is the guy in the lagoon with the... The Brody kids, and that's when we actually get to see the shark. Yeah, he actually comes out. Yeah, you see him under the water, and then he comes up, and yeah, grabs him too. And you actually get a look at the shark. There's also a building of what it shows us in terms of violence. Because when it first shows, you know, the girl gets pulled underwater, and you, then we find her body. You just kind of see a hand, the a shot little bit is, of, little bit of hair. Yeah, it's it's just a, it's from behind her corpse, and you see hand, hair, you see Brody above it, and you just see like crabs walking around. And you can tell everyone's disgusted and yeah. they're horrified by what they see. And no blood, though. No blood. Zero violence. There's zero violence. Next, when Alex Kintner's killed, we see him get pulled underneath it. Then we see blood in the water. But that's it. We just see blood. When the next guy gets killed, we see the shark. We also see his severed leg fall, fall to, to the, the bottom of the water. Oh, yeah. So, so they, it, they're escalating the violence. So it's not only this escalation of showing you the shark. It's the escalation of showing the effect of the shark. Which is super smart. It's a, it's also an effective way of of building tension of what it's capable of. Because now initially it's just our imagination. Yeah. And now when, we see it destroy a small boat. Yep. And we, then the dock and everything. Rip we, a dude's leg off. We get it. We now we have a full sense of its power of how dangerous this thing truly is without ever seeing it. And then once we see it, then we see what it does. And then we don't see it again for a while. We don't see it again until fucking he's chumming and yeah, you're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah. Then that's the next time we see it. That's like another, what, 20, 30 minutes later? At least. It's a minute until uh, that happens. I want to see it. Probably at least 20, you know. So it's like it, it's it, everyone always talks about how you don't see the shark right away. But this time I really noticed the how you don't see its effect right away. It also holds back on that, on what. The violence, because if you if someone made this movie today, right away, I mean, one every shark movie this immediately shows you the shark. They can't wait to show you the fucking shark. But also, we would see the the true the dismembered body. Oh yeah, there'd be as much gore as possible. exactly. Which what's smart in this? We they show you nothing. Right. It's just talked about. It's talked about how bad it is. We never see it. We just see reactions. Because I wonder, too, it's hard now that we've seen it so many times. Right. But the first time, are you almost, like, not believing Brody right away? What do you mean? That it's a shark? Yeah. Or that it's as bad? Uh, I never had that, but to me, it almost had the... It had the, the, the seven effect, where everyone swears you can see Gwyneth Paltrow's hair in the box. You see nothing. Yeah. Sorry, spoiler alert for seven. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a pretty big spoiler for that movie. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? Like, everyone, it's one of those things where it's like, it tricks Or is it you, more so just the, it's an imagination thing. It's think? an imagination thing. So to me, I always pictured there being more violence. I thought you saw more of the... Uh, the I think you're right, though, because when this last viewing, when Megan and I watched it, she's like, that's how you saw the girl? Yeah. So I think, I think you're onto it. Yeah. I had the same thing in, in my mind for years. Because I saw this movie when I was young and then I didn't watch it again for years. And in my head, you saw like 
you saw her legs get ripped off. Like you saw her die. You saw her get pulled. Out. I I thought for sure there was blood. I thought you saw her body. You don't. You see nothing. But the way they do it, it puts that in your head. Right. And it gave me that effect of just like, no, you see hair in the box, right? No, you don't. Morgan Freeman opens the box and he goes, my God. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and like, that's it. Uh, uh, it's one of those effective moments of of the movie tricking you into seeing something that's not there, which is also a, a, a real money-saving tactic. You know? Yeah. <laughs> No one had to do any makeup effects or anything. And for this movie, they needed it. They needed to save some money because uh, that those fucking sharks in the water uh, were fucking up their budget. 150k a piece, I heard. Yeah, I can't remember because I know the budget got extended and because it was it cost like what initially the budget was like three million dollars. It was supposed to shoot. Didn't it get pushed to like nine? By I think it went to like nine. It was supposed to only shoot for like fifty five days. It's it like definitely six went, months. Yeah, I think definitely it went over that. It was and just because shooting on the water is a pain in the ass and it's stupid. And I remember I I on uh, looking at the behind the scenes, there was a quote from one of the one of the people who bought it, like one of the executive producers, and he straight up said, "He's like, if we would have read the book twice." Yeah. We would not have made this movie because we would have realized how hard it was. How much be. water is involved. Yeah. yeah. But we read the movie, we read the book, and we we're just like, oh, well, it wasn't even the full book. They actually purchased the rights before it was published. Oh, it nice. was, it was, they got to read a portion of it because Peter Benchley's wife like gave it to somebody or whatever. Um, cause like, that was back when they used to like publish like parts of stories and, and whatever. Um, we talked about that a little bit when we talked about like H.B. Lovecraft a while back. Of, yeah. Like just some of his stories were just, in magazines um before he ever wrote a book or whatever um but the, yeah but one of the producers was just like oh yeah no if we had read it twice we would not have bought this fucking thing <laughs> which is wild it is uh, a lot of things went had to go wrong for this movie to get made and it worked out very well yeah a lot of things had to go wrong for it to go right yeah absolutely um uh, one other thing I want to say about the beginning of the movie. Uh, Got to give a brief shout out to Lorraine Gary. We did a, a wrap up in like July or in the August. We talked about the actors who would have appeared most in our movies. We didn't count her. She's three of the Jaws movies. She's in the top, in that top tied for first place That's of people true. who've been in three movies. We just, we, we just remember, threw her away. We remember the other lady in Jaws, the, the hotel lady. Yeah, who's like I don't find that funny. Then, or whatever. Yeah. We gave her, but I'm, then later I'm like, oh, Lorraine Gary. She's who's, in three of who, the Jaws movies. We watched all who those. Who starred in what? Yeah. Three of them. And, <laughs> yeah, she starred in three of them. And she's great. I think she's a good actress. I I think she's great in this movie. I love her in this one. She's wonderful in this movie. Her character is perfect. She has really nothing much to do in two, and then four is just a batshit movie. She's the lead in that movie, but that movie is fucking wild. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Because the shark has a vendetta against the Brody family. Because <laughs> they think it's the child of Jaws. There's a lot going on there. It's great, though. I actually love Jaws 4. <laughs> well, we we got we got Hoagie out of that. So mm-hmm. it's just a big thing for us. It is. And it's my second favorite Jaws movie. Um, I would say mine goes mine goes 1, 4... 2, 3, right? I think 3, 2. 2 is my least you favorite. You really hate that one. I really hate it, too. 3 okay. at least has the, the horseshit of 3D! Um... What else? What else should we get into analysis wise? I've been. I feel like I've been talking too much. What do you? What do you have, my friend? Okay. Do you remember early on in the movie? There's a scene where Brody answers the telephone in the morning. Yes, I love that. Do scene. you notice that there's two fucking telephones? There's two phones. He answers the top one and he goes like, "That's not the one," and then he grabs the yeah. other one underneath <laughs> What's it. What's going on there? Why well, didn't know? If Is that- it because they just moved in and? 
either just moved in or I didn't know if that was implying that like there's there's the house phone and that's then there's what like, Megan said like the the officer and then there's the direct line that to could the be. chief like the bat phone yes yeah, so, well so it's like so that line's never busy you know what I mean so yeah. that that is only to and from the police station maybe maybe is what I thought because he answered and he goes oh and then when he grabs that then he's he's serious and what I love too is it does the way the shot is too he's in the foreground and the background is uh uh Ellen Brody with the son watching his like cut on his hand, they share the same amount of screen space of the domestic and the police, but he's in focus and he's the dialogue you hear is about what happened. Um, but it's like because he's trying to get away from being like a self serious cop, but he can't, you know, by being an amity because now, especially a bunch of other shit's going on now that he's got to deal with. Well, yeah, he was hoping. Well, he mentions how there wasn't a murder in 25 years, there's never been a murder in the town. He says, yeah. he says there's never been one. It's never been a murder or shooting in like the last fifty years or whatever. Like, yeah. Um, but that that also right there was a great, um, like one of those great uh, examples of how of how Spielberg in this movie and in his seventies movies he doesn't Close Encounters too and some of his, some of his eighties movies too, but as, as particularly in this one of how he how he stages and makes just like dialogue scenes look great and feel energetic. And interesting because he uses it's like foreground middle ground There's, background he uses all of it for everything there are so many good shots in this movie yeah. that i noticed this time too paying attention there's a great um uh little video essay by a, by a channel called every frame of painting which they were uh they got pretty popular and have like millions of views but uh they're a really interesting analysis site and they did one called the spielberg oneer and they talk about a oneer is when you do like you know that one shot of here's the unbroken shot usually it's usually like a, a big fancy thing like the you know walking through the copacabana and goodfellas um, the yeah. end, the end of Children of Men, you know these long shots of like whoa they did that all in one take that yeah. kind of thing. Spielberg, what I like about his, and they talk about this and that, and it's it's really impressive. He does a ton of oneers, but they're like a minute, minute and a half, and they're just to like cover uh, dialogue scenes. They're covered. They're to cover exposition scenes. But when you do it that way, and it's all about staging. And you use just all of your, you know, uh, all your frames of depth, you know, foreground, middle ground, background, and just have movement, not crazy movement, but just enough to have the characters move around and have the where they move within those ranges of depth uh, to make it more important. It just makes all those scenes feel like they're way more interesting than they would be if you just shot, you know, shot, reverse shot, wide shot. You know what I mean? If you just did basic coverage. Yeah. And he does some coverage because he puts insert shots in and stuff like that. But generally, like, like a great example is the um, in this movie uh, when they're on the the ferry with the car. <clears throat> yeah, and it's moving. It's moving. So the background's moving, keeping interesting. The characters are barely moving, but uh, the mayor and Brody slowly get closer to the camera as yeah. they break away from everybody else for the mayor to be like. Okay, here's the fucking deal. Right. But the camera doesn't move at all. The camera's locked down. That's a one shot. Okay, so that's that's the actors going to their spots. That's them going moving to their marks. But what makes the shot look so energetic is because the the fairy's moving, so the background is moving. Yeah. So it looks like it's this interesting tracking shot. It's not. The camera's locked down. The camera barely moves. It it tilts a little bit to just as they get closer to the camera. But that's it. And that's the kind of shit he's good at. If you watch all of his movies, he has that in all of his movies. These just really simple moments. And they usually have a beginning, middle, and end. Of It starts on this, 
something happens, another character comes in, whatever, and then we move to their final position right. in the, in that kind shot. Of the close scene. Yeah, yeah. Well, that or or their the way they're staged in their power dynamic of like, oh, this is who won this scene. Because right. in like a drama dialogue scene, usually someone wins, quote unquote. That's kind of like yeah, dramatic story writing lingo. Um, but he's in this movie, he does that so much, and it's so good, and he uses the entire depth of frame. The entire time. Because another great one is when uh, when all those tourists show up and the beach is so full. It starts close up on Brody and him being like, here's where you're going to go. And then he walks back into the crowd and then suddenly we see how long it actually yeah. is full of people. All the people. And now how fucked he is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, I looked up a couple other things. Mm-hmm. So $3,000 back in 76 would be an equivalent of $14,000 now. So that's why I think so many people show up. Oh yeah, no, th- yeah, three grand and seventy five. Yeah, seventy five dollars. Yeah, I'll kill a shark. <laughs> and Quint's bounty 10, would be 000. the equivalent to forty eight thousand dollars. Jeez. So put that in perspective. Wow. That's actually okay. a lot of money. Listen, you just for inflation, I might kill a shark. Yeah, and I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm a quasi conservationist here when um, it comes to sharks. You know, I noticed too, and it makes sense that a lot of the people in the movie really didn't have any knowledge of sharks to where today. Everyone knows Something. what a great white shark is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. This movie, well, and this movie did an interesting thing of where it got away with having some of that mystery of like, you know, because I love too, they even have the scene where Brody's just like, he's like, no one knows how old sharks are. Yeah. Because at the time they didn't. And still there's a lot of question about like, how old do great whites really live to be? Like, you know, we have estimates. It's, you know, but there he's like, he's like, I, he's like, no one knows. No, I, I, and he's like, all, <laughs> he's all frustrated because he has no idea. Um, Spielberg kind of uses the same tactic with uh, dinosaurs in Jurassic Park a little bit. Of, yeah. Like, there's a lot of speculation. There's things we do know, and then there's some shit you can make up to uh, just, you know, make it work for the movie logic. You know? He kind of does it, like, th- th- those two movies are, are very similar in what they're trying to do with a monster movie of, like, oh, this, like, this is just a cool thing. Yeah. But it's dangerous as fuck. Yeah. You know? Like, <laughs> right. Um, the, the, oh, oh, I mean, please. Oh, I'll never turn down hearing that in my headphones. Let's see what else. What else do I want to cover here? That would be yeah, the karate school thing because we t- we've talked about this last year, but this year I noticed it where it's right because like you hear the lady come in, she's like that karate class. They've been karateing the the picket fences. Right as he leaves, he talks to somebody, and you see these tops of these picket fences karateed, and I'm like, that is a perfect like no, that didn't need to be there. No, it's, it's such so a minute detail. You'll probably not even ever catch it the first time you watch. No, it. dude, I didn't catch it till you said it last year, and then I I wanted to watch for it this time, and and saw it, and it's like perfectly placed. It's they they don't make a meal of it. It's just that world building it's, it's stuff. It's Brody walking by, and it's there. Yeah, there's other little subtle world building stuff like that, or, or subtle, uh, I guess not world building, but kind of thematic things. Um, th- this was trivia I read, and then I also noticed it in the movie that um, Spielberg told the art department he wanted very little red in the movie, in set design and prop design. He didn't want red because sure. then when red happens with you blood in the you water, wanna, you want to notice it. He wants red to really pop out. And I, then I noticed that I'm like, oh yeah, there is a, it's you know, it's usually like, it's very uh, kind of very autumn tones, you know. There's a lot of a lot of yellows and there's a lot of blues, obviously, because it's an ocean town. But right. it's like kind of the, a mix of that stuff, like kind of yellows, blues, very light greens, kind of you know tans, uh, stuff like that. Um, but you also so you get the red in in shark stuff, but also red shows up as like a clearly like motif color when we first go to Quint's shack. 
Okay. Because right away behind where he's got his, uh, uh, where he's boiling those shark jaws, yeah. there's just a shelf of just like ketchup and uh, Campbell's soup and this stuff. And it's so just, like very obvious red things placed red, there. And then something else he walks on, there's red somewhere else. And I'm like, oh, so it's like, it's the shark and Quint have some red. And even though he's gray and the shack's very gray, yeah. there's these touches of red that pop out mm. of like, the violence lies in Quint and the shark. For and sure, that's, and no. that's and that's the blood feud is kind of Quint and the shark. Yes, you know what I mean. So that was just a really a very subtle, um, super subtle, uh, an interesting kind of art department decision, which I really liked. It just shows like how much crazy detail went into this. Yeah, literally third big project for well, for Spielberg. Yeah, that well, it's like and there's all the shit we talk about, like we talked about with like Magnolia, like all of the references to the biblical verses and frogs and stuff hidden behind them. I always wonder with those, does that come down to like a because I've never directed a big movie, obvs, uh, <laughs> wouldn't be doing this podcast if I did, <laughs> probably. Uh, <laughs> no offense, but uh, I'd probably have other stuff to do. Um, but like, I always wonder is how, how involved does a director get into that? Or do they just tell their art department? I'm just like, here's my fucking deal. And I really want you to drive this right through somewhere. Or like, did, was Spielberg just like, we need some red there. You see how meticulous he is in the staging of characters. The blocking of scenes, uh, is very, very particular. Well, and yeah, the way he sets up scenes too is uh, the one I wanted to talk about and it may be a little out of place, but it's when... No, no, go ahead. Um, I think it's when the kid is attacked or I know it's when the little kids have the shark fin, right? Yeah. And everyone's running out of the water mm-hmm. and they lay that camera down on the beach mm-hmm. and everyone's kicking water at it. Yeah. And I just love that scene. Of yeah. Everyone panicking and just the way the water is like hitting it just like in waves. Yeah. At the camera you feel, I don't know, it just makes you feel tension of like panic. Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, that's it's well, and what's interesting too that you bring that up—that's something he kind of does with the camera because in the first scene too, before the Alex Kintner death, when Brody's looking out to the people swimming, every shot then of people in the water is basically from Brody's point of view, not necessarily direct where he's sitting, but it's all done from land with a long lens. Yeah, like he's in. kind of so so no matter we it's, looking at them, it's voyeuristic. It's yeah. the way it's shot, and then in that scene too, it's like oh the the camera is getting splashed by water, which yeah again makes you feel the tension because it's almost like you're out there like looking for a shark. Yeah 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 absolutely absolutely. I I think so. I think those those two decisions are are kind of uh, married thematically, yeah. um, if you will. Uh, I also have in the in the opening when um, when he's getting the the coroner report from the. Uh, uh, the well from the corner. <laughs> I was trying to think of the word it's from. Like you already said it, dumbass. Uh, but then he's leaving to try to go get like beach clothes signs, and immediately, um, uh, like his secretary is talking about something trivial, and someone else in the hallway is like, "I need this thing," and it's, it's like these immediately. He's always being flooded by these trivial problems. Yeah, because even at the beach. Yeah. The, one, fir- the first uh, when the when Kintner Kintner gets attacked, yeah, he has yeah. that one guy who, and he's not even listening to him, not at all, because it's about parking. Yeah, yeah, he, I, I need a red zone there because people park and it's like, but he's constantly, even in just the dialogue, like you'll hear his dialogue a little cleaner, but there's this other shit being shouted at him, and it's like this town is trying to bog him down in minutia when something real is happening that he needs to solve, and the town won't let him solve it. You know what I mean? Throughout the whole movie. Throughout the whole movie. Um, also, just from like a, a structure point of view, because we talk about this, but like the the death of Alex Kintner, the little kid who gets killed, that is like the perfect end of Act One. 
Yeah. Because that's when things do actually get serious. It's it's when suddenly, like, oh, we're not in the world we were in. Because they kind of ignored the first girl and tried to play it off. But like, now it's like, oh, we can't ignore this kid being killed. And now she put out a bounty. Everyone's looking. Like, the whole town notices yeah. now. But the I, I was pace looking of the at movie kind of speeds up a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I just noticed that this time, like, oh, where it lands timeline-wise, like, when that kid dies and what happens next is, like, the perfect, like, now we are going into Act 2. Now is the quest to solve the problem. We have now left the stasis, you know, in, in screenwriting terms. We've now left the, the, the world as we know it has now changed. And that's usually when you make the leap from Act 1 to Act 2 is now, like, oh, the stakes in the world have now been drastically altered. And now we have to now we have to actually hunt down the problem, which is perfect then because Hooper shows up. You know, it's just like yeah, for, then you meet Quint and he lets him like lets you know like I'm here for murder. Yeah, I can kill things. Yeah, we don't come back to him for a while, but no. he's but he's introduced early on as like the the very clear like foreshadowing like I'm the tool you're gonna need. You're not gonna use me right away because I seem crazy. Yeah, but you're gonna need me. <laughs> and then he's gone for a while, and then yeah, and then shortly after that, Hooper shows up then. And and then that's when we kind of get this, where I was talking about like this kind of like buddy cop thing between Brody and Hooper. It's a fun little thing in the middle. Yeah, to well, break up the tension. Yeah, and we get before we really get into it. Well, and what's great is we have their bond. They become buddies very clearly, and they get to a point where they're on the same page. Because then by you know Hooper's the the expert, and Brody kind of throws something out. He's like, "What do they call a shark by itself?" And he's like, "Rogue shark." He's like, "Yeah, rogue." He's like, "So it's rogue." And so he, he's clearly trying to learn the terminology. By the time they have their their next scene where they're yelling at the mayor in front of the billboard, Brody's cutting off Hooper with shark facts. So yeah. they are now. It's also another thing of they're on the same page. They are both experts now. Yeah, that's kind of their 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 yeah meeting point of like they both know what needs yeah. to fucking happen, and that's kind of the same arc that uh, Hooper and Quint go on when they're on the boat because they're at odds first. Yeah, because no one's really at odds with Brody because they're also like, well, he's the chief of police and he's he hired this whole thing, and we kind of just need to respect him. <laughs> Plus, he's kind of the one who isn't an expert in either field yeah so i think they're both trying to kind of carry him along and help him you're right yes absolutely they're trying to and they both like him they like him and they also need him to need them yeah otherwise they don't get the job they don't get to stay if the chief police that's says, true like, he's the linchpin in the a whole little thing. bit yeah yeah, yeah yeah but then eventually they because i think too initially you have quint is almost trying to uh not like necessarily in a in a super devious way, but he's kind of trying to like because he's really nice to Brody and then shitty to Hooper, even though Hooper knows more. Yeah, he's almost he's, trying he's to like, like he big dogs him yeah, a little he's, bit. He's like, yeah, he's like, all right, you guys are buddies, but you're coming onto my boat, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna toy with your friendship a little bit, which <laughs> just a touch, which was actually real life between Robert between Shaw all those actors, and, yeah, yeah, they yeah. and Dreyfus because those two butted heads, they butted heads out. quite a bit. But then I I know also every interview like Dreyfus has ever give ever since. Is how much he loved Shaw. Well, and I think, how... in, much like the movie, I think the scene where the, the scar is kind of. Well, I've, I've heard that the the cup crushing scene was sort of a big icebreaker where they sort of. Oh yeah, where they crushed the can. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, there there was I think a lot of competition there, but it seemed like they very much were Quint and Hooper. Yeah, no, and I think that's why. Yeah, also that movie, the tension is real. Yeah, yeah, that's like that was their relationship, and it sounded like they by the end of it they were generally friends. I think Dreyfus had talked about I think how Shaw had like revealed to him at one point to of being like he's like I just want to quit drinking. He's like I know I'm being a mess. He's like he's like there would be these moments of like clarity. 
where he would kind of reveal himself, but then yeah. sometimes he'd be on set and he'd just be drunk. And then he wants to, you know, Dreyfus was the young actor. Yeah. You know, he'd only done a few movies. Well, like you point. said, it was, it was a competition thing too. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, cause Scheider was like kind of, you know, he wasn't like a big name, but he already done like the French connection. Like he, he had made a name for himself as like an established actor. Shaw's star was fading a little bit. And then Dreyfus was new. Like, you know, uh, um, American Graffiti was 72. Right. And then Dreyfus actually originally turned down the role in this. He didn't want to play Hooper. He didn't sound like, uh, he sounded like a bad idea, but he changed his mind when he saw a screening of his movie that was about to come out because he hated his performance. I think we it. talked about this. And he's yeah. like, I won't get hired if people see this movie. I need, so I need to get a I job. I need to take Jaws. <laughs> Which ended up being, you know, his, like, it's one of the Richard Dreyfus movies. You know, probably his most iconic film that he's been in. You know that. Well, and he did a phenomenal job. He's, he's I love great the character it. of Hooper. Hooper's he's so good in it. Everyone's so good and naturalistic in it. And that's that is something that is. Uh, and it was very of the seventies too. And we talked about this last year too about how it's just the seventies like to stack scenes of just people talking at the same time. Spielberg did it. Robert Altman did it bunch of other directors at the time like people just kind of designed scenes that way people yeah. just liked people like busy scenes yeah. in the 70s um but now also like in in big budget like thriller movies we don't do just like kind of naturalistic hanging out characters anymore it's rare when you find just like oh these are just normal people doing kind of normal talking no it's you're always definitely watching a movie yeah it's hard to it's harder to get immersed there, i think these there, days yeah there's more of a heightened sense of reality well, we've talked about this the whole meta thing if you listen to the faculty oh for sure and that's part of it too i think this is one of those special movies that i don't think that people realize the things that make it special everyone always talks about like well you don't see the shark for a while yeah but it's also all this other shit and that's such a small part it's such a small why it's such a good movie, movie. Because, and we talk about when you came over, I'm like, I the first half of this movie is what does this movie for me. I love the second half, too, and then the boat. You need that first half to make that. Because otherwise, this, it would just be a shitty, we're hunting a shark movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? That first well, and the half, thing is, though, too, I mean, the shark's not great. But we've no. talked about this. You, you don't care by the time once you get it, to it. Once it shows up, you seem like, that's a big rubber shark. Yeah. <laughs> There's lucky a couple good scares in it, too, that make you still like give stakes to the shark. But once it shows up, like you see, I'm like, oh, um, okay. But you don't really care, especially today, you know, in this day and age when effects are so good and even animatronics are fucking great. Uh, but uh, yeah, you you don't care. You let that fly by past you because, especially because the the pre, you know, the first hour of the movie is flawless. I think. Yeah. Because like yeah. I have no, I have nothing wrong with that first hour of the movie. No. There's not a single thing. And in the second half, all I have is like, yeah, you start seeing the shark and it's you see it's a big rubber thing that just goes bah, bah, bah. Well, I mean, luckily there's one a total of five minutes of shark. Something like that. You know. And then you get those shitty uh those shitty effects they added, like the, the shooting stars look like shit that they yeah. added. Those look so stupid. And then there's a weird glow they put on one of the barrels when it comes up because they're doing like day for night. It's unneeded. I don't know why they added that, but you see this weird like I didn't even notice, but there's this weird effect glow on the water. I, I can show you. It, it it distracts me every time I watch it. I don't know why they have it. It's right before then they do the two shots of the shooting stars. Yeah. So they do those effects, and I'm and like, I, those look like shit. Yeah. Those are the only things that in this movie make you go. Huh. <laughs> For me too, in the second half, some of the score when they're chasing the shark is a little too jaunty. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. You. Yeah. No, I know what you mean, but I think part of that is to make it seem like they're they're making more ground than they are. Yeah. It almost feels like it's like a trick 
a little bit. Maybe. I don't know. It just doesn't seem It seems a little it seems a little out of place. Yeah. There, there's also this moment where when um when like the moment I already talked about where Quint looks at then the uh like the the motor of the boat is dead and then he looks at the um, the life jackets and it does a little motif of ladies of Spain the song he's been singing you know yeah for well these ladies of Spain um, oh, these ladies of Spain that's how it goes but it plays this little motif in the score of that I remember that yeah which is weird because it's such a jaunty like kind of happy sounding song but also the song itself is a sad kind of song and I think in that moment it's meant to him being like he's being like Oh, okay. I've I've decided I'm going to fight this shark to the death. Yeah. So this is you know farewell, ladies of Spain. You know right. what I mean? Cause, yeah. Because the song is like, "Bye, ladies of Spain. We have to go back to Boston." Is what the what it's about. Is like we've got our orders. We have to go back home. It's a sad song, but it's a positive song. So we're going home, but we don't get to bang then, these Spanish ladies. Yeah. <laughs> You know, uh, like I think most nautical songs have that theme to them, you know, like, That's... oh, got to go home, but ah, I can't just uh, fuck in Europe anymore. Um, again, I've talked about this before with Spielberg of how he doles out information because the second they get on the boat, um, you know, Hooper's bringing his equipment on and Quint mocks him, but they kind of say what the equipment is that lets you know. So like that's you know, 40 minutes before they use the equipment telling you like this is what it's for. That seed's been planted. They get in the boat. First thing that happens is Brody unties the wrong knot. Yep. Compressed tanks fall. Hooper says, like, ah, oh, these will explode if you're careful. And then Quint's just like, ah, oh, maybe a shark will eat it. Wink, wink. We're going to put this in a shark's mouth and right. blow it up. Uh, <laughs> there's uh, another one there of. Oh, where's that? Oh, he's talking. He's telling the story. They're just sitting there on the boat, and he's like, he's like, ah, oh, yeah, I had this this shark. I had to put two barrels in him. He was so strong, implying that that was the worst he's ever had to do. Yeah. Which again is a great like it subtly put in your mind that that's the limit. If they go past two, fuck, we're in a whole new deal. Yeah. Without them screaming, oh fuck, no one's ever done this before. Like right. yeah, it, it's a uh, it's those great just little dialogue moments that. They're not showy lines. They're not showy moments. It's just little, little teases, little earworms of information, kind <laughs> of. That's what you know. That's what they are. Yeah. What do you got? You got anything else? You got anything else you want to dig into? No, for the movie, that's about it. I was trying to find more, but it's hard when we've covered this once we've and covered seen it before, so many times, and yeah. we just gave the rundown of the plot. I, I think I've, I've really got into all of the, the. Uh, uh, specific analytical stuff I, I wanted to dive into. Just the little the little things. That, and I was trying to specifically talk about stuff that I haven't heard other people talk about a lot. Yeah, which is also difficult. It's hard. This, being such an iconic this movie. This is one of the most like written about movies, one of the most talked about movies, especially with the making of and what made it, especially yeah. what made it successful is what's always talked about. Why did this movie work when it didn't want to work? Yeah, you know when I mean? it was trying <laughs> its hardest to fail. It's, it do not fucking work. Uh so, but I think we did a good job. I think yeah. we handled that. I have I have one last little thing just because this ties into the last time we talked about sharks on this show, which was back in July, our Shark Week episode. Yeah, and I just mentioned that there was a new uh, Nat Geo special that was on Disney Plus called "Playing with Sharks," um, and we talked about her. It, it's about this Australian lady, uh, Valerie Taylor. Yep. She was one of the first like shark conservationists in the yes. '60s. She was the lady fawning over Chris Hemsworth. Yes, she touched Chris Hemsworth's bicep and uh, and then melted. She forgot how yeah. to speak because <laughs> uh, the sexiness of Chris Hemsworth broke her. Uh, we we talked about her a little bit, um, but I watched her special since then, the Playing with Sharks 
uh, thing, which was an interesting documentary because she was a conservationist in the 60s. What I didn't know was that she had a hand in Jaws. She was one of the, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Oceanographers? Well, oceanographers, I'm trying to think of. uh, Consultant? Consultant, Um, advisor. Yes, those are the words I was looking for. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. I forget normal words. Uh, uh, Yeah, she was one of the like shark consultants, experts for the movie. Um, And actually, they filmed the underwater shark footage because they use largely the the animatronic sharks they built for the movie. But they do some shark footage, and then it's uh, yeah the cage scene, which you can you can tell it's not well. You can tell when it's suddenly like there's a real shark in that cage. Yeah, that's not a big rubber shark they're ramming into it. Uh, and very famously, the shark got into the cage and the guy had to jump out, which they worked into the movie, but that really happened. Which this, saved Hooper. Which saved the character Hooper. He's supposed to die. He's yeah. supposed to die. Um, but they filmed that with the the short man in a smaller cage so they could use a smaller shark. Yep. Um, and But they're the ones who filmed that. And she also, before that, they her and her husband were... Uh, first, they started as spear... They were competitive spear fishers. And then they became obsessed with sharks, so they stopped being spear fishers and stuff and became conservationists instead. And they had made a documentary, though, about it was called like like great white blood water or like red water, something like that. It was it was but it was about it was a documentary about sharks, but they, like the whole point of the documentary was like the sharks, they're they're the monster, they're the killers of the ocean. It was like the whole point of it. And then they were also technical advisors on Jaws and filmed footage for it and helped uh I think consulted in the building of Bruce and all that stuff. But then they like Peter Benchley, who was also a like oceanographer, like underwater photographer person, again was just like, oh no, what did we do with Jaws? Dang it. Everyone's killing sharks now because of what we did. And I just found it funny that like it seemed like it seemed like the people who really fucked up the lives of sharks were the people who were interested in sharks in the beginning. It is strange how they show them in that light because you know better because it seemed like everyone else was kind of ignoring sharks until these until these conservationists were just like look at these violent creatures of the ocean then everyone went oh they're violent let's get them they went no 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 if you guys were filming sharks you'd know they actually are not that violent that violent yeah so it was just funny that it was the same story and i'm just like man Concert, like shark conservationists in the 60s like i don't want to call them idiots but they they've they done fucked up because they were just like, get a load of these fucking cool beasts. Those are cool beasts? Well, they're not beasts. <laughs> I, I know. I, I'm guessing it was more like to make money. It's like we have to show them doing heinous things to other fish. Well, but. I think I think it was more to sell how impressive they were, but it backfired and then scared everybody. But yeah. you also were making movies that were particularly scary. Like you were trying, you were yeah, making, you're showing yeah, sharks eating violently, which yeah, looks but, scary, but it's but just it's like how it is. All these people involved with it have now been like, well, oh, I know, and we regret our fact, work in Jaws, yeah. and it's like, well, okay, and it's like it's almost too bad for them that it they the studio got Steven Spielberg to do it because he made it so well. This would have been a way worse movie directed by somebody else, and it wouldn't be a classic. Yeah, and it probably wouldn't have scared as many people. <laughs> True, <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's like. Sorry, you guys helped build this perfect storm of this thing. Now you you got to live with it. And it scared people. You were successful at scaring them, which is what you set out to do. I don't know. I just I just found that particular thing interesting that yeah. her whole thing was like, "Oh, we regretted it and people called us out for it." And I'm like, 
Well, yeah, yeah, you kind of yeah. deserve to get called out yeah. for it if you're so mad about this movie you helped make and make effective. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if they owned it or if they just kind of backpedaled and. It seemed like they backpedaled pretty quickly. Yeah, once I think once people start going out in boats and just getting sharks for fun after Jaws, mm. you know what I mean. What you got? Anything else? Or I had some research on Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> <laughs> All right, because that's where that's where they shot. Uh, Jaws, I believe uh, Jaws and Jaws Two. Yeah, I don't know if they filmed any of the other two at Martha's I, Vineyard. I don't, don't want to dig too deep. Yeah, because I don't think it's a real great place for history. No, it's, it's perfect. This is perfect. Um, so it was purchased from the Indians at a fair price. I bet I would imagine super fair price. <laughs> super fair. So the legal. island at, when they purchased it had about three thousand inhabitants, and then as time went on, it got down to like three hundred. Okay. So I yeah, I'm sure we did awesome things. Yeah, we're cool people. Let's party. There's ties to slavery out there. Yep. Again, I don't want to go too deep into all this. This no, dude, you're doing great. This is a great note to end the show on. <laughs> yeah. It's located south of Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Yep. So yep. it is in that area. They, and they mentioned Cape Cod in the movie. If they can't swim here, they'll go to Cape Cod. So I think I think yeah. Amity's meant to be in Massachusetts. Um it includes a smaller adjacent island called Chattaquiddick. Oh, Chappaquiddick. Chappaquiddick, yes. Chappaquiddick. Yeah. So that's kind of fun. Yeah. I believe that is where uh, Ted Kennedy crashed his car in the water and 100%. that girl drowned. 100%. 100%. <laughs> I, didn't put the, I didn't put that in there, but yes, I did read that. <laughs> Doing research. Uh, so... European settlement began with the purchase of Martha's Vineyard, Nantucket, and the Elizabeth Islands by Thomas Mayhew okay. of Watertown, Massachusetts. I know that name, Thomas Mayhew. Um, I don't know why. Yeah. Says maybe he maybe had, I'm just thinking Peter Mayhew. So he he had, played Chewbacca. He, maybe. <laughs> he had friendly uh, relations with the Wapanoaks. Wapanoaks? I believe it's Wapanoak. Okay. Or Wamp... Nope. Wampoke is the one from Pawnee um, in Parks and Rec. <laughs> So the first pop culture has just poisoned my right? brain. It's a blend of everything now. Yeah. Uh, it was first established in 1642, the first settlement. So okay, okay, way far back. Um, this is this one's kind of cool. In uh, 1941 through 45, they had a uh, uh, army and navy bases there. They would practice bombing missions. Oh, okay. So that was kind of fun. Interesting. And then, so when did it become like this this summer wine town area? way back then that it's always been kind of known as that so so even during i mean i bet during world war ii because everything was just about world war ii yeah which i get you know um okay so interesting it just was always this kind of like summer town yeah go hang out um so british see the boys fly missions (laughs) british explorer bartholomew gosnold crossed the atlantic in 1602 and was the kind of the first one to to find it yep Hmm. And I only looked that up because Bartholomew was the last name of my brew partner. Oh. So I'm just tying shit together. He's never been on the show, so that means nothing to me. Right. Uh, but interesting, too, that he discovered it coming over from England um, yeah. when there were already English settlers here for quite some time. So he just saw a smile and he's like, calling it, called it, <laughs> called it. Does it, do they have, who's, who's it named after? Who's Martha? Uh it, I do have that. I was gonna say that's what uh, I, that's what always after his daughter. Oh, his daughter. His daughter. Oh, okay. Yep. 
He named okay. it after his daughter. And was it always just good for like growing grapes or something? What made it vineyard? Was is it just now always that been a I good don't know. I don't even yeah, think they grow grapes there. I say is it not even a vineyard? No, I think he just thought he wanted to put a little bit of make it kind of cool, you know. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay. And, okay. So this island is home to the Flying Horse Carousel, which was built in 1876. Okay. It is the country's oldest operating platform carousel. <sighs> Rad. Right. God, that sounds cool. Let's go there, dude. I'm in. Let's do a trip to Martha's Vineyard, ride that carousel. When I was a kid, when I first heard of Martha's Vineyard, I just assumed it was associated with Martha Stewart because I was a child. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I guess that's her house. I don't. <laughs> I literally did. I, I can see your logic. It was when I first heard it. When I was a small child, so it was like Martha's Vineyard, and I'm like, it was the only Martha in pop culture I knew of. So that yeah okay so that Thomas Mayhew established the first settlement on the island 1642 at what was called Great Harbor, okay, and is now Edgartown, Massachusetts. Okay, I only mention that because I have a dog, who's a pug. Oh God, his name is Edgar Allan Pug. Your, your connections have gotten so weak, and my whole life is a fucking pun. I'm realizing <laughs> all of it. Yeah, yeah. You host a show called Sharktoberfest. Yeah, yeah. Yep. That's all I yep. got. Welcome to hell, buddy. Yep. All right. Well, this has been a fungo. Uh, fumbo. That's what it was. Fumbo. Let me take that again. This has been a fumbo. Um, yep. I, think, I think we did all right. I think that'll do it. Um, as always with the Jaws one, it's always a little more serious because we have actual things to talk about. Uh, it's going to immediately get way shittier after this. We're going to yeah. be talking about very bad movies, uh, very baffling plots uh, and effects and... Um, the, the the movies get less effective from here. Yeah, there's a lot more filler from us. <laughs> it's a, it's a lot more. Our commentary uh, sh- shifts from being like, "Wow, this is skillful," to being like, "Why would you even do this?" So that changes. But again, Jaws. If you haven't watched it, I mean, if you've never watched it, fucking watch. It's one of those ones that like, it's one of the few that I I like. F- I don't force people to watch, but I'm I'm very insistent about. Yeah. You know, because even like I grew up loving Star Wars. Someone's like, I haven't seen Star Wars. I'm like, ah, well, that, okay. Some people miss things. Jaws, though, is one I'm just like, you need to watch it. Be, this, be, this is one you will get into. You will get into it. And I've everybody I've shown Jaws, who's never saw it, and they see it as an adult, they're always like, wow, it's a good movie. And there's always parts that scare them. Yeah. It's it's a special little movie. I mean, little, but it's, but it's you know, it's a. It's one of those ones that's almost hard to quantify of why it works so well. It's because so many little There's things. There's just so many just elements yeah. that culminate to make it just a phenomenal movie. Yeah. Um, and then also, Shell's Oktoberfest. Go get you some. Go get you some. If you are a fan of Oktoberfest, you will mm-hmm. not be disappointed. Well, all right. Uh, just to tease. Uh, so this is this is the first episode. Part two will be on Wednesday. And um, we... Watch a movie that, you know, this one, like Jaws covers, is a lot of characters. Um, covers, you know, a, 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 not a huge stretch of time, but several days and um, goes out and, you know, into the vastness of the, the ocean. Uh, the next one we're watching is much more contained, literally. Yeah. Literally. Seems to um, be a few, maybe a four or five hours. Yeah. Maybe less. People um, are kind of stuck in a location and sharks come into play. So... There's that as a teaser, maybe. Look out. Yeah. Uh, the last clue I'll give you is that where it was made, the toilets flushed the other way. Uh- <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> 
Uh, so this is the first official episode of Sharktoberfest, but if you haven't seen already, we also released a commentary track for uh, Deep Blue Sea. We watched it. It's a watch-along. Yeah, we, we covered this last Sharktoberfest. Yep. We, yeah, we already... We kind of wanted to incorporate it because it's a special movie to us. Yeah, still. and we've always kind of... We've talked about trying to do like a commentary, a watch-along, a drink-along. So have a, you should have a drink with us and watch... I, <laughs> It would it'll make things better <laughs> and watch uh, Deep Blue Sea with us, um, at, which is I don't, it's going to be a fun experiment for us. Uh, yeah, but if you want to if you want to feel like you're watching a bad movie with some buddies, check that out too. You know, well that's going to do it for uh, this first episode of Sharktoberfest two for Dustin Pixley. I'm Logan Nielsen, and as always, here is umit bo by Negan Frauen Zush women. Okay, bye! Bye.